Let's get started with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for everyone in here this morning. I pray that after today's passage, they will be encouraged, looking at their own spiritual gifts, all the magnificent grace that you've shown to them in Christ, the power and the giftedness of the Spirit within them, all their talents, resources, and abilities, their thinking, the strength that they have in their muscles and in their body to do things for you and your church and for one another and for each other. Thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ and your spirit, for being so gracious to us, for being so kind and giving us many things we do not deserve. Thank you for loving us. And it's because you've loved us first that we now have been enabled to love you. Amen. Amen. Romans 12, 6 through 8 this morning. My goal this morning is to primarily, primarily it will be informational, what the gifts kind of are and maybe a little bit of what they aren't, but I also wanted to have application and uh, I'm going to try to exhort you, encourage you all, like in the prayer, to look at these gifts. Uh, I don't want you to get bogged down thinking that uh, they're like square blocks and you can't go in and out of one or the other. So today will be informational, but I want you, I want to call you all to live a more virtuous, active Christian life. And that's the point of this actual little section. Paul gives a bunch of areas where people can get to work. And that's, the, that's the, the gist of his language in that section. So let's read it real quick. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So this, this is a list of gifts that Paul just <coughs> rattles off real quick. Historical or chronologically, Romans takes place a year and a half, maybe two years, after the writing of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians also is Paul's other list of gifts. But something is to be noticed. If you examine the gifts here, as compared to 1 Corinthians, there's some changes. Almost all of the sign and miracle gifts are gone. Which is informational. Then you also have the pastoral epistles, which are even later, and uh, those aren't mentioned either for the pastors uh, overseeing their congregations. So we're going to look at prophecy first. The only one that is mentioned uh, that could be a sign gift in this list is prophecy. And I'll try to make some points on that one specifically, and then we'll look at the others quickly. Okay. First, I want to read from our community 
uh, Bible Church Bylaws, Article 1, the Doctrinal Statement of Faith, Section D, on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read line, part of line 4, 5, and 6. And this, is, uh, this was Pastor Harvey's view, and the existing elders, and also the two present preaching and teaching pastors of our church. And I would, I would expect that the majority of the congregation holds to this view as well, although I don't know if everyone does specifically, or if this doctrine was gone into in great detail or length um, with everyone before they became a member. But I'm going to read this to you. We believe that some gifts of the Spirit, such as speaking in tongues, were given as authenticating signs in the early church and were temporary. So, in the theological language, that means our church is cessational. We believe that the signs of the apostolic age faded off. Tongues, miracles, revelatory prophecy, healings, supernatural healings, and such like that. Does everybody understand that? Okay, you can read, you can read that in our statement of faith. Now, looking at prophecy. Propheteion is identified by one who speaks openly or publicly God's truth. A prophet can mean one who reveals new scripture or true things that will happen foretelling of future events. But that is not always the case, even in, in the New Testament. Turn to Acts 15.32, and someone please read Acts 15.32. were they themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Okay. Judas and Silas were both prophets. They came down from the Jerusalem council, letting Gentiles know they didn't have to keep all the ceremonial law and be circumcised. Now what they did when they got up there was they gave a lengthy message. They're just repeating biblical truth to them. And they're named prophets. But something that a prophet does is not just give new information, they repeat what is true in Scripture that already exists. These two prophets gave a lengthy message, many, many words. Paul could preach into the middle of the night, and so much so that a little kid will fall asleep and fall out the window. <laughs> I know none of you are committed to me to that degree. Don't tempt us. So God, uh, another example is God tells Moses, uh, Aaron will be your prophet. In Exodus 7, 1. And backing up to Exodus 4, when God is calling Moses to be used, uh, Moses is worried about himself being eloquent in speech enough for this role. And that's what he, he's like, I, I don't have the tongue for it. I can't do this. I don't have the physical ability. So prophecy is not, Moses is not, he's worried about being a spokesman and an orator for God to the people. And so God says, well, Aaron will be your prophet. And the term is being used here as just a public speaker who can pronounce things well and loud. Aaron does not receive special revelation from God. 
Moses does. He repeats it to Aaron, and then Aaron speaks it. He's called a prophet. Okay? That's an example that you're not necessarily being supernaturally endowed with the Spirit yourself to write Scripture to proclaim it. Aaron is using it in a... It says Aaron was gifted in speech. And he says, you'll, you'll be with your brother Aaron, I'll use him. You'll be as God to him, and he will be your prophet. So God tells Moses, you'll relate to Aaron, and Aaron will speak to the people. So it's a speaking gift. It does not always mean revelatory, that the person who's gifted in that area doesn't mean that they receive words from God to speak brand new. It's not always the case. Many conservative theologians believe, as do I, and as do our statement of faith I just read about the Holy Spirit, that the revelation prophet gift passed solely into a a preaching, speaking, pastoral duty of preaching and teaching the word according to the revealed and complete word of God during the time of the apostles. And I have some verses to support that. Ephesians 2, 2 Timothy 1 and 4, 2 tells Timothy to preach the the word. Uh, Paul believed at the end of his life that the word was settled, that there wouldn't be anything else. He didn't tell Timothy, hey, wait for some other prophets and then examine them and see if they've got some good scriptures for you to add to scripture. Scripture was already sealed, it seems, in Paul's mind and how he told Titus and Timothy to begin to organize the church as the next the next generation. That revelatory prophecy was sealed. Um, the revelatory miraculous sign gifts appeared to cease as the New Testament was coming to a close. Like I said, chronologically, I find it interesting that none of the sign gifts are really mentioned and it's, people could question, well, what about prophecy? And we're kind of dealing with that right now. What it could or what it is sometimes and what it is not sometimes. Paul went everywhere establishing preaching and teaching overseers, elders, and shepherds. Prophecy, in general, is a speaking gift in which some are more gifted in delivering sound messages from the Bible to crowds of people in the church and outside the church. This is closely linked to teaching, but there are differences that are noticed. People, other than elders and pastors, may have the gift of public proclamation. Evangelist is another person or office that is mentioned by Paul that speaks and preaches truth inside churches and outside of churches. And Paul tells Timothy, after being a good teacher and a pastor, he says, and do the work of an evangelist. So Paul, Paul wants Timothy to do the work of an evangelist on top of his pastoral duties of preaching and teaching the congregation. And that meant make sure you're going to those outside the church too. But evangelists can be used in the church to proclaim God's message. They're gifted orators. They have a lot of scripture. I, I believe the gift, after studying a lot of it, is you just got this mental and verbal gift that the scriptures and a good message that exhorts people can just flow out of you for a lengthy amount of time with many words. <laughs> and everyone's like... <laughs> so, uh, essentially, I came up with a little mathematic formula for you. The common denominator, I believe, in prophecy, the way it's used, the term 
prophetase in scripture is used as the common denominator. So up here you can have new revelation and just they're repeating old stuff or a message. But the common denominator is that they speak well. Terms that are used with it are eloquent in speech. Apollos is talked about as being a gifted, mighty, powerful speaker. Uh, so that's what we're looking at here a little bit. But it's not just limited to the elders and pastors, like I said. The evangelist. Paul himself spoke at the Areopagus in Athens. And so there he went. He came into the, the temple. He was in public. And then he got everyone's attention. That's non-Christian. He started proclaiming the truth to them. And you can read that in Acts 17. Another thing. Prophecy. Uh, a, a speaking gift... Stephen, is, Stephen the deacon in Acts 6 is not mentioned as a prophet, but he is an awesome speaker, and another term is used, but I believe the speaking terms are closely linked between being prophet and this other word used for preaching and oratory gift. Stephen, a deacon, also has this speaking gift and is powerfully gifted by the Spirit, okay? But it's not limited to those who are in the office of preacher, teacher, evangelist, okay? Other people can have a speaking gift. So Stephen spoke with, it says, such wisdom and power of the Spirit that the opposing Jews could not cope with his ability to skillfully open the meaning and application of the Scriptures. You can read that in Acts 6 and 7. He gave a lengthy message, one of the, an awesome sermon, to the whole Sanhedrin court. You can read that. It's all from memory. And he just like, Luke just repeats it like this guy's just going to town. You could read that whole chapter and be like, that guy did that from memory before a bunch of people that were wanting to kill him. That's a gift. He was, he, and uh, it didn't just come naturally either. You, you think he had to study and to know the scriptures? Yes. <coughs> okay, so he skillfully opened up the scriptures to an opposing group of men, the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin. Similar with regard to Apollos in Acts 18. It says that he was essentially a gifted scholar, wise and knowledgeable in the scriptures, and was an orator already. He was a powerful speaker. Now, Apollos was privately taught by Aquila and Priscilla, his wife. More accurately, the complete revelation about Jesus. A woman assisted in teaching and giving witness to this new revelation, the scriptures. Likely, Priscilla and Aquila were taught by Paul already, and they're repeating this information to Apollos concerning Jesus Christ. But Luke, Luke makes mention of a certain detail about this. He makes sure that we see the detail that this was done privately, that Apollos was taken aside. Now, Apollos was in the synagogue and giving an open message and stuff, and Aquila and Priscilla were listening, and then after all was done, they took him aside and completed his training or knowledge on the revelation about Jesus Christ more fully. <clears throat> Apollos was only familiar with John's baptism, John the Baptist, and repentance and faith. Okay, specifically a baptism of repentance and faith in God. They completed his training in that. Now, it would have been uh, unlawful or not right for this Jewess, Priscilla, to speak in the synagogue or a new church meeting that's meeting in Jesus' name Jews that are meeting in Jesus' name, or to question any teacher or preacher in the public herself. 
1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 36 speaks about this, as does Paul to Timothy and 1 Timothy 2, I believe it is. It says that God is a God of order, and this is how he has ordered our public services. So public service was not where Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos. But this is what I, I was reading in a, uh, a commentator, and he was showing how awesome this is. Okay, I hope you guys like this. Apollos is this awesome scholar and gifted orator in the Old Testament. And then you have two tent makers, a husband and wife, who complete his training. They, they, they're a host of Paul, and then they help this guy get some more scripture and put it in his hand because he has a powerful speaking and preaching gift, and he's going to reside in the office of elder and pastor soon in Corinth. He's in Ephesus now. And they help him privately as husband and wife, giving him the rest of the scriptures. Okay? And pretty soon, Apollos would be in charge of them as a pastor. Another thing like I mentioned last week. When Paul was blinded, he had to go see Ananias. Yes? Ananias was given power by God to open his eyes and to tell him the things about Jesus. And then Paul would soon be in authority over Ananias as an apostle and a pastor and an elder. Okay, so after this, it says that Apollos went on to Corinth and he greatly helped the disciples. He helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Powerfully refuted in public, a speaking, oratory, prophecy type of gift. Demonstrating by the scriptures, and what was his prophecy based on? What was his powerfully refuting? It was all from the scriptures, the existing scriptures. He was a non-revelatory preacher, prophet. Apollos went on to pastor for a while in Corinth, and we have the lovely letter of 1 Corinthians it's not Apollos' fault that the Corinthians were so bad. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. Okay, service. That's where we get our term deacon from. Here it occurs in the uh, feminine accusative, diaconium, from which we derive the term deacon. Uh, diakonos, with the ah, diakonos, the male, our masculine form, which is mentioned of Phoebe later on in Greek. Um, Feminine and, and masculine does not it does not follow gender. It's not gender specific all the time. Does that make sense? Okay. So Paul may or may not have had the idea of the office of deacon in mind here on this list, but it's possible since preaching and prophet was mentioned first, but I don't believe likely because being pastor or elder is not mentioned here as an office, but this is just gifted giftedness in general. This is just general giftings that people in the church have. But um, <clears throat> elsewhere in Scripture, all Christians are called to be deacons. Okay, so Jesus says, who is the greatest among you? He will be servant, deacon of all. You want to be great? <clears throat> Pursue being a, a helping servant. You want to be great in God's eyes? Just help people. Serve people, do tasks for people, wash dishes, do things well. 
This, these are actions, muscular types of gifts. This is a, a serving gift. You have speaking gifts and serving gifts in which all the gifts fall into. You're either using your, your strength to study and then speak, or you're using your, your studying to know how to serve. So scripture calls all people deacons. We're to be servants. We're to help one another. Uh, at the end of uh, Romans 16, we're going to read about Phoebe. She's called a servant and diakonon in the uh, accusative masculine form of the church of Sincrea, which is right next to Corinth, at the end of Romans. Paul further describes this woman as a helper. So he, he gives another term to help describe this woman's gift. It means to help and do tasks. And specifically, she, it says that she helped many others in the church. She helped the pastors and she helped many others and she helped Paul. She carried the letter to the Romans. She crossed the sea and carried the letter to the Romans and now we're reading it. That's pretty cool. This woman had a sealed letter written by Tertius, dictated by the Apostle Paul. And Tertius, Gaius, and Phoebe are all mentioned at the end of Romans 16. All contributors into holding the letter we're now reading. Pretty cool. Gaius was the gracious giving host who was hosting the whole church and Tertius in his home. Probably giving him meals. He was a giver. We'll learn about that. A giver and a leader, and a host. Tertius used his skins as a penman. He had great Greek writing capabilities. And Paul and him got together, and he wrote the scriptures. Okay, so, Phoebe served many others. Servants are found to be people that serve and help people in whatever needs to be done. Some will serve in different areas or ways. The gifts are generally categorized by speaking gifts or serving gifts, and you can fall into both. You're not just like blocked off, like, okay, I think maybe I'm this. That's, Paul's idea is not for you to take a spiritual assessment test here and be like, I'm kind of blocked in here. Uh, and it, it doesn't really give us the indication that you're trying to necessarily try to assess this on your own. I think it's just supposed to come out of you what you are. And... You, as you read and study scripture and you find places to serve or to give or to, that you fall into, you're just going to give yourself to it. And so Paul is giving this long list because he's just telling people, get after it, get to it, get to these things. Whatever you're doing, get to it. Some of you are going to be like, oh yeah, I really, I really love having compassion and mercy with people and giving. And you're going to have a, you know, a, a different plethora of a number of these things flowing together as you're serving in the church. Servants, whether male or female, should present themselves to God daily as a living sacrifice, as Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Not only are you to be holy and obedient and, do, and be an obedient disciple to the word, but you're supposed to be actively presenting yourself to God. And like I talked to Pastor Bill Menke last week, are you actively presenting yourself daily to the Lord to be an obedient disciple and to be a, a serving or speaking disciple with your gifts that God's given you? Are you intentionally making effort to serve the church and to serve God daily? Or I'm going to prepare daily for when I do serve. And I'm going to be intentional 
about my gift in this and about being obedient and knowing the word better. Servants are to spend more time serving God's people and less time in the affairs of the world or entertainment or ease or self-interests. Servants are known because they help others, not themselves. Servants are active about helping others. That's what they care about. That's what they're after. That's what they get after. They get after helping others. And this is how they worship and magnify God. Teaching means one who speaks God's word, also a speaking gift. Teaching can be in small settings, your own family, or like our Sunday school now, or one-on-one -on -one with another disciple or teaching your children, or teaching your wife. And wives love teaching their husbands, too. <laughs> that's true, that's true. <coughs> a teacher is one who's gifted to understand, organize, and relate God's word to others. And so they will be consistent, they'll have a, a good, strong hermeneutic, and they will organize, systematize God's word, and make it relevant, and it bring things out to people, and they'll, they'll be systematic. It's where we get our term for didactic in the English. And in the Greek, it's didaskalia. And so that's where we get our didactic teaching from. It's methodological. It's consistent. So people will be gifted in disciplining themselves, in creating good teaching curriculum, methods, organization, some numbers or bullets or something like that. Just kidding about that, but I mean, you, you, you can use aids. So, so teaching can be didactic, but consistent, organized, systematic teaching of God's word. And this is what is required of an elder and a pastor, is that they be able to consistently teach God's word to the congregation. It's not that they have to be an Apollos, that they have to be some magnificent apologist who can orate to large crowds. That's not a requirement though some pastors will have that gift too. It's not a requirement. The requirement is to be able to faithfully, accurately teach God's people the word. And lots of people will have this gift. Sunday school teachers, everyone here, Deuteronomy, right? Pastor Jesse gave a message not that long ago. You have a responsibility to each other and to your children to train them up in the way of the Lord and the knowledge of the scriptures. And you do that through getting good, systematic resources that will help show things in a very good, organized way, the truths of God's word. Women can have this gift. Uh, specifically in Titus 2, women are called to teach other women and to teach the children in the church. Women are told they cannot exercise being a teacher or having authority over men, 1 Timothy 2.12, but teachers should strive to be better teachers and present themselves to God to teach as much as they can to as many as they can. So this is if, you're, if you have a teaching ability, you have a teaching desire, get trained. Start doing it. Get help. Find other teachers. Be discipled. Get after your gift. Get after it. If you want to teach, find out if you're a good teacher. Teaching implies a lot of time studying and practicing. So you have to be committed. We need teachers to spend hours upon hours a week knowing God more and this world less. 
to be a good teacher. Okay, what are your requirements of me? I know everybody in here has got expectations of me standing up here, right? I want it to be good. I want it to be accurate. I want it to be right. Right? I'm sure all of you are thinking something like that. You're like, Jake can't just get up there and say anything. Okay. It requires sacrifice. I can't just spend hours in movies each week. I've got a limited amount of time to prepare lessons besides loving my wife, finding people to serve in the church, being hospitable, having somebody over that week for a meal from our church. So I get up at 4.50 every morning and read till about close to 6 a.m. before I go to work. So I get about six, seven hours a week to prepare this lesson. And then occasionally on the weekend, Elizabeth and I split times on off-child off duty time. <laughs> we try to help each other out and give, give each other sanity in that way. Amen. <laughs> Sorry, Catherine. <clears throat> so that's one way husbands and wives can serve each other, sharing responsibilities, teaching the kids, be a good deacon to one another. But a lot of time studying and less time in this world and practice. Now that, that, that implies all gifts. That's essentially true to all gifts. Whatever you're gifted in, you have to do less time self-interest in this world and more time caring about others with whatever your gift is. That's the call to uh, church usefulness and to kingdom usefulness for the king. Exhortation. It can mean to encourage, comfort, console, and to call one to joy, gladness. It can also mean to call one to obedience, proper attitudes, or just a calling to a principle of truth in the Bible that you could encourage somebody with and exhort somebody with. Also a speaking gift in general, but I think it takes on a servant aspect too. It takes on a variety of different contexts and applications. It can happen in private. Most of it, I think, happens in private, this gift. However, pastors and preachers are constantly exhorting and calling people to right attitudes, right actions. That comes out in preaching and teaching. But other people have this gift too. The requirement is to know the word of God well and what to comfort and console people in. Yes? So there, to be a good exhorter, you need to have a foundation of truth yourself to encourage and comfort others in and to bring people to the knowledge of the truth. If I was going through a really hard time, somebody who can lovingly talk to me about the sovereignty of God, I would find most helpful. But they do it in a wise, loving, and caring way. It can take on a number of, of uh, looks. Exhorters are often gifted to be sensitive to see others' needs of encouragement and may also have such strength and compassion that they regularly meet others in a discipleship type of context, possibly, to build them up in truth. And that would also cover into some teaching. Okay, so this is a speaking gift that requires wisdom from the Word and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're going to exhort people, you need to have some joy. Okay. Definitely want to do that one with uh, joy. Giving is the verb form here. 
means to give or share. Givers are told to do so with, uh, you could interpret it as simplicity, purity, sincerity, or graciousness. And this is not only monetary, because Paul uses this word that he wants to give the Romans his spiritual gifts in the beginning of the letter. However, I believe it primarily takes on a monetary or resource type of action throughout the whole scriptures. John the Baptist told all people to have that have two tunics that they should give to someone who has none. Same word. Give to someone who has none. You're giving your resources to somebody who has none. Givers should strive to give cheerfully. It should not be out of sorrow for loss of personal resources. So when you give, you shouldn't be like... <laughs> You shouldn't feel pain in giving. It should be a, an abundant joy. It should just, <clears throat> I want to do this. And you're happy about it when you leave. There's no sorrow or grief. And you shouldn't be compelled to give out of coercion. Okay, You shouldn't feel coerced to do this. It should be out of love and joy. Because you have a heart that is imitating the giving of Jesus, which was abundant and selfless abundant and selfless, thinking about others. <clears throat> a giver's heart is saturated with the love and the mercy of God and knows, like Paul, this is their motto, in their heart of hearts, it is better to give than to receive. This will be the giver's motto. This is what they will feel like in the inside. They will, they will want to give, and they feel like it is better to give than to receive anything back from somebody that that's what they want to do so much better. Givers, spend yourself on God and his kingdom and his people. Make for yourself money belts in heaven that will never wear out. Leaders, it means to rule over, maintain, oversee, direct, or guide. Uh, this term is used in correlation to the elder qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and chapter 5. It relates to managing well and being a good example to follow. Leaders are to set precedents and disciplines in their own lives for others to see with diligence. So lead with diligence. Leaders guide and direct others in godly behavior, and they have a vision for orderly behavior and an orderly administration of their house, their life, their own home, their own business, whatever it is, and also an orderly administration of the church. With enthusiasm, with relentless dedication, leaders with diligence means to stay the course. No matter what happens, leaders are consistent. This is the way things are. I'm staying the course. We're going to live after God's principles. And I'm going to be an example of that, and I'm going to call others to an orderly, right, biblically parametered life. Leaders, leaders are, I consider, extremely noble people that we'd look up to and be like, I want my life to look like that. That is just an orderly, awesome, noble, virtuous life. Let's, let's all get after that. An example of leaders in the Old Testament is look to the tabernacle, look to the priesthood, and look to the kings. What kind of a life and what kind of an order was there in the tabernacle, the temple, the priesthood, and the kings? High order, dress, everything was ordered. 
and it was all to worship God in that way, and God set those parameters and those precedents. It was a very orderly life. It was a very orderly nation. And the church is to be ordered. And the church should, should, should pursue high virtuous excellence in everything, according to God's word. Leaders see that stuff in the text, and they example it, and they call others to the same. Let's live a biblical life of order, and let's manage ourselves, our lives, and our homes well, and our church well. So leaders, will you lead with excellence and virtue and stop floundering around in the world with the world's allurements and distractions? Will you get after leading even stronger and more? And that, that it means you have to read the Bible more too so you know how to order your life. Mercy. Mercy, the verb form means showing mercy. Some are extra gifted in mercy, and they are to do so with cheerfulness. A compassionate people minister to those in affliction or suffering, and they have an extra tender heart to reach out to them. Cheerfulness is the proper way to minister in this gift, okay? You need to have cheerfulness, joy. You need to do this with enthusiasm. You don't want to go to a sad person and be sad yourself. That will not help. So if you are a quiet, sad person, you do not have the gift of mercy with, with cheerfulness. You need to work on that. Okay, so merciful people must be wise and sensitive to others, wise in the word, and sensitive to others' needs, but, and is driven by compassion and the mercy of God to relate and build up other people in the truth of God's mercy and hope with cheer from the heart. The church always needs compassionate, merciful people. Pastor Chance has been preaching through the Philippians, and the Christian life is one of suffering and persecution and hardships. We see that all throughout the Bible. There's people, Christians, believers, that have suffered many hardships, and that's why we need merciful people to come alongside with wisdom and be able to help and encourage each other with joy and cheerfulness. They should know something about the sovereignty of God and, uh, and move forward with cheerfulness, building others up. So this, this list from Paul I don't believe is exhaustive. He's just showing us things that we should get after and get to doing. Paul quickly tells of the speaking gifts and the serving gifts for people to get the gist. Paul's point is to call all disciples to attention in this section of Scripture, starting with Romans 12, 1 and 2, to present yourselves to God as a living and holy sacrifice and be obedient and then start doing some of these things more actively and present yourself to godly, to God to do these things in a godly way. You need to pursue your ministry to others in this church and you have to spend less time in this world. Your time, your money, your efforts, your resources, your strength, your mind, everything's going to be affected you try actively every day to present yourself to God to serve the church. It's going to affect you, and so you have to count the cost. But it's a good cost. Turn with me to 1 Peter real quick and we'll end. 1 Peter chapter 4. If you don't want to listen to my exhortation, we'll just let Peter sum it up here in four verses. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 7. Christians, 
the end of all things is near. Why is this important? Why is it important that you obey? Why is it important that you serve? Because the end is near. It would be unwise to think that I've got many days, I don't got to do anything now. The Bible constantly says it's unwise to think that you have tomorrow. Be of sound judgment. The end of all things is near. Be of a sound mind. Understand this. Take this in. Be sober in your spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. So how are we to do church? We should be praying for one another. And above all, we should have a love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And how does love come out? Verse 9, we are hospitable to one another without complaint. Beyond all the gifts and all the obedience, you should be having somebody over for a meal. That was always happening in the New Testament, breaking bread together. If you are not actively pursuing hospitality, you're disobeying Scripture, and you're not being sober with your mind. The end of all things is near. You need to love one another and be hospitable. Verse 10, Peter goes on to say, not only love one another, pray for one another, have people over for meals, showing you actually do love one another. Verse 10, as each one, each person has received a special gift, employ it. Get active to presenting yourself to employ your giftings and your service and your strength, your money, whatever you've got, give it all to God. Give it all to the church and serving. Get active for the church and less active in the affairs of the world. Employ it in serving one another. Your gifts are for others. You're to be a good steward because the end of all things is new. And you as stewards are going to be called to account at the end of your life. The end of all things is near. Be a good steward. Whatever you've been given. You've been given the manifold grace of God. Whatever your gift is. Verse 11. Whoever speaks. If you have a speaking gift. You should do this as one who is speaking the words of God. The utterances of God. Speakers are in the word of God and they teach that. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, thank you for this time. Build us up as a church and help us to get active. Lord, if we are to be a light in this place, it is going to require that every member starts shining brighter for you. Otherwise, our church will pitter patter bitter patter and barely make it on but if everyone gets active and presents themselves to you daily and gets serious about church then this church will be a light and more and more people in this town and beyond will be affected by the brilliance and the grace that you are shining forth through us by the grace and the spirit which you supply amen, amen.